Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris from Jacksonville, joined by May, also from Jacksonville. Hi. And we have Will from Greenville, South Carolina. Hey, hey. I don't know why I left everyone's last name out, but uh, Waterman, <laughs> Finch, and Rotondi, if you want, if you want it. I thought you were saying that my name is also from Jacksonville. That's my last name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> On today's episode, we will be talking about Equilibrium, the sci-fi dystopian action thriller starring Christian Bale. And, uh, you know, we will be discussing uh, how it... Uh, either successfully or unsuccessfully navigates the sci-fi sci uh, dystopian genre. Uh, we drew the card last week for Deja Vu, which is all about paying homage to uh, former films or popular genres. But first, uh, what have you guys been up to in your uh, viewings? Anybody seen anything interesting lately? Been watching anything cool? I've been obsessed with our flag means death, which I know I've talked to both of you about at this point, but it's great. I'm sure everyone's telling you that, but go watch it if you have it. It is stupendous. Yes, I we're not quite done with it. Like we're we're like the save we uh, savor our shows. We're not bingers, admittedly, um, but uh, it's something a little you know to look forward to each week to kind of navigate through like six or sh seven shows like in a week. And uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Just a wonderful, wonderful show with a lot of depth that you might not expect um you know taika waititi has a knack for being very silly uh it is that in spades but it has a lot of depth at heart so do you have a favorite character oh god um <laughs> jim probably <laughs> yeah it's <Jim is> great <laughs> amazing all right um i like that you're you're being a little coy there that's that's cool Yes, <laughs> I appreciate our audience will appreciate that too if they uh, start the show. And there, there's nothing surprising about Jim. They're a very normal character, and uh... <laughs> indeed, yeah, um, just really funny and exciting. You gotta watch the show to find out why. It's a great little <laughs> teaser. Thanks for that. How about you, Will? Oh man, I've been on the Stranger Stranger Things bandwagon with my wife lately, so we're probably about six or seven episodes in. And she's mm. the one who keeps telling me like every day, like, can we watch more? And I'm like, I got a few other things to do. But yeah, like we're almost to the point where I feel like she'll probably finish it before I know it. And then I'll just go back and rewatch it with her at some point. But yeah, that's that's where we're at right now. Very nice. You're a little ahead of us. I think we've only done two so far, but I'm determined to catch up before like the the finale, like couple of episodes drop in July. I love the Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, um, like that kind of other people can't fully see what's going on and there's like your your fears and and things kind of like you're in that in-between spot not really sure what's happening there but uh it very much reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street and I am digging it man and I know there's a certain song that has gotten very popular again after many many years uh thanks to that show so I can't wait to encounter whatever scene that plays in I'm, I'm guessing a montage like based on nothing other than Stranger Things history but excellent well then I'm not going to ruin anything for you and I will just let you enjoy it but it is yeah it's I I like how it's consistently been entertaining and I've enjoyed the 80s but I would love to just I don't know, because I know there's a lot of things about the 80s that were, obviously were not perfect, but just the aesthetic part of it, just for some reason, I, I enjoy just going back and watching all of the, whether it's the technology or if it's just like the looks, like how everything is dressed up for the sake of the, of the show. I just, I really get into that. I think they do 80s nostalgia very well in that show where it's like, 
it's very clearly in the 80s, but it stopped short of being like 80s, 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 80s. Like it's, <laughs> it feels natural, I guess is what I'm saying. Like yeah. they really, really like nailed that like Amblin and Entertainment, like Spielberg era, like yeah. Goonies and all that other stuff. And this season has been particularly dark and violent. So I'm cool that they're embracing like the characters are grown, grown up. We can have higher stakes and all that stuff. I think that's a smart choice as well. Well, I don't know if like, they're still doing this, but a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, I went to a secret cinema event that was Ooh. basically a like recreated version of Hawkins. And oh, you basically, you paid to go, you're assigned a dress code. So everyone has had like period clothing and you go, there's lots of activities you can do, or you can just kind of enjoy living in Hawkins for a night. And they have actors that are lookalikes for all the main characters and they'll act out scenes from the show. It's really cool. So I don't know if they're are still you... doing Stranger Things, but highly just recommend. Just made me insanely jealous. Like, insanely <laughs> je when we were in England, uh, I was specifically looked to see if they had any productions or things that they had done. Cause they had done like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. They've done just so many great things and like like the feedback is always really phenomenal. So thanks for making me very jealous. I appreciate it, May. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll definitely have to check that out. I think as far as like TV shows go, it's pretty much the same with me. With the two shows that you named, um, Better Call Saul, I'm just waiting for the second half of that to come out. That's been very good. That was kind of the thing that we were watching um, like week to week. Oh, Kenobi, I guess. Uh, I was going to say, probably. yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. yeah, I have not seen the most recent episode, which has kind of a mixed reaction, but the first three were very, very good. Um, mm -hmm. Continue to enjoy the the show. Um, it's just really nice to see Ian McGregor back. And I, like he he's brought such gravitas to that character. And like I, I like that he's not phoning it in. Like it's very clear that like he took the assignment to heart and wants to do you know like give it his all right like put it 100 of his heart into it which is really really nice Can i just say that i really i don't know if i mentioned this before so i apologize if this is me repeating myself but i felt like watching ewan mcgregor like his portrayal of obi-wan was like the one i felt like he was a man who looked haunted by the fact that he thought he killed his best friend mm. or thought that he killed his brother like that sort of ptsd like i bought into that there's a lot of sequel or I guess prequel stuff that's come out to different shows, movies over the years where I feel like the hero gets often becomes like that cantankerous, like disheartened old man that I didn't really enjoy. But this is like that one moment where I, I can buy into that, where I feel like the trauma he's gone through makes sense for why he is the way he is in that show. So, yeah, I mean, you saw a lot of it on screen. I think that's partly why, because I feel like with a lot of like that, that type, that character type, uh, mm -hmm. that whatever trauma they experienced is just like maybe a brief flashback you see on screen whereas it's like if you've seen all the prequels and stuff you've been right there with him as everything happens yep. yeah it, it, like having kind of the natural space of like the time from when the prequels came out to when the show's coming out I think works in its favor as well right like um, I, I don't know how well the show would have worked if they had done it say like two years after the prequel like you know, prequels were first released, I think having a little bit of distance um, really, really helps kind of drive the point home. And you're kind of sold more on like where the character is at that, you know, uh, 10 years later or whatever it's supposed to be. So cool. Well, uh, let's have a side quest, shall we? Uh -oh. <laughs> Wrong file. <laughs> uh, but I did see awesome. the category. All right. So 
<laughs> if you film it, they will come is our side quest. And our caption, since this is a new side quest, is the following. Talk about a movie you knew was there simply to do fan service and discuss whether you think it stuck the landing. There's a really good one that I, we just talked about last week that's in theater still. <laughs> Talk about that. Does I mean, anybody have totally anything talk else? About that. No, 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 no. That's okay. It's too soon, too soon. <laughs> this might be a hot take. I don't know how passionate people are with their, with their Pixar opinions, but... Oh. Um, Invincibles 2, <laughs> or sorry, not Invincibles 2, Incredibles 2. Um, Very different superhero. Different superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibles 2 uh, really felt like that because I feel like they made it so explicit that we should be expecting a sequel with the first Incredibles movie. And, mm. you know, it had great success when it came out. Whereas with 2, it... <sighs> I don't know what like the Rotten Tomatoes is on it. I did not think it was very good by comparison. Um, hmm, really? And I felt like it was what they had set up in the first movie to kind of be like the big conflict got wrapped up in the first two minutes of the sequel. Um, and then it was just kind of the same old, oh, well, you messed up again. So now superheroes have to be secretive uh, again. And like, I did, I did like, that uh, Elastigirl got her own like mission plot arc. That was cool. But um, yeah, it just, it, it, it felt very much like, okay, well, we have to make this thing. <laughs> Let's just mix up the characters and do the same plot. <laughs> I've only seen that once and in theaters. Um, I remember having a good time with it. Like I enjoyed it, but I haven't really thought about it since. So like, you're probably on the money-ish. Like, but I, I thought it was a good laugh when I, I saw it in the theaters. Whereas like I've seen the original Incredibles like quite a few times and I really like it. So um, that's really all I have to, to offer on that. I remember thinking it was fine when I saw it, but um, yeah. Yeah, to be you, clear, Will? I don't think it's bad. I just don't think that it did anything that the original movie didn't. That I would agree with. Yeah, I, I think that that is definitely spot on. I think you're 100% correct there. So yeah, I guess if our prompt is like, it's there to do fan service did it stick the landing like you would say like no or like eh? Is that... <laughs> I mean I think it fulfilled the, the the prophecy it laid out for itself by <laughs> okay <laughs> saying that it had to have a sequel right um but I don't think it did anything new and I certainly don't think it would earn the franchise yet another film mm -hmm. what about you Will I'm pretty much of the same opinion like, I thought it looked, like, visually, it was cool. Storyline-wise, you know, I could follow it. But, like, from the, like, the, would I go back and watch it again? I mean, if it's if it's on or available or that's the thing, then, yeah, I could go with it. But I don't know if it's something that I would just be in the mood to want to go see specifically, except for maybe Jack-Jack. I feel like that was, I always enjoy watching Jack-Jack, but, yeah. I wish we'd had even more Jack-Jack, personally. Mm -hmm. That was another thing that seemed like it was going to be, he was going to be a major character in the next next film, and he did have a, a larger role. But mm -hmm. I think it would have been cool if the plot was more focused on Jack Jack and the weird mole people that we saw at the end of the first movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose if you compare it to like say Toy Story two and three, uh, and I haven't seen four, so that's the only reason I'm not mentioning that one as well. 
I felt like Toy Story 2 and 3 both did very interesting things and have their own unique identity and seem like necessary sequels or like they justify their existence just by the sheer fact that like they have different agendas from the like rather than retreading the same old like stuff from from the original like Toy Story like that world grows and gets richer like with each sequel so and three made me cry and uh the incredibles yeah. two did not so there, there's that <laughs> that's the litmus test if it makes you cry yo we'll come back for more <laughs> i mean with pixar and disney like disney pixar 100 <laughs> percent yeah. uh, i, I, I don't know you. man after uh yeah i was gonna say chris if you're gonna talk about like that montage oh, of like that yeah. stuff to me like I don't want to watch another one of those. <laughs> yeah, I think it was after Hibachi on Thursday, Marianne and I were a little tipsy and I was like, I just want to watch like the, like, can we just watch the opening montage? And like, I hadn't even gotten to like the bad bits in that, like, right? Like I was still in the happy section and I was already like starting to like choke up. So I knew it was going to be bad. Yeah, that's um, just such a beautifully done thing. But yeah, Pixar has, has the magic. I've heard Coco was like that too, but I haven't seen it. Like, people have told me it, it, it'll wreck you i yeah no i love coco it did wreck me it just it felt like it had the originality that every single pixar film used to have but now it's kind of like yeah, one... <laughs> which pixar are you gonna get yeah. cars 2 or, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or <up? Like. laughs> that's fair but coco is great highly recommend Sweet. You have well, to I choose between Coco and Incredibles too. <laughs> Fair play. All right. I uh, I will take your word for it for sure. Well, nice pick, May. Thanks for uh, for your selection. I dig it. You're welcome. And I apologize <laughs> to any hardcore Pixar fans that I've offended. I don't. I, I I think you're safe on that one. I think there are certain movies if you had picked on, they'd be like, no way. <laughs> but I think that, that that's a safe enough choice. Uh, Mr. Rotondi, uh, so your selection, Equilibrium, was drawn last week for our main quest for Deja Vu. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Oh, that rhymed. Uh, and uh, yeah, lead us through the discussion of this film. We watched it in a watch party, which was, was a great time last night. So take it oh, away. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Well, I guess I'll just recap briefly about the film itself, who's in it, all that good jazz. So Equilibrium is directed by Kurt Vimmer. Uh, it was made back in 2002 and stars, as you mentioned already, Christian Bale, Tay Diggs, Angus uh, McFadden, Emily Watson, William Fitchner, and for probably about a solid 10 minutes, give or take, uh, Sean Bean. And for those of you who know Sean Bean, you could probably guess why he's only in there for about 10 minutes, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, but the story itself is an amalgamation of a lot of classic dystopian sci-fi uh, from the literature side of the house. So if you're thinking like Fahrenheit 451, 1984, that's where a lot of the references in the film come from. But we've got a few other that we are a few other ones we can talk about as well. Um, and then it's got a lot of quasi martial arts thrown in there for some awesome spectacle. Uh, but Equilibrium takes place after a supposed uh, third world war where society is now walled up in a megacity that's run by a totalitarian regime referred to as the Tetragrammaton, led by an individual known as Father. And emotion in all the citizens, or I should say most of the citizens, those who live in, um, I guess, Libria, the name of the city, uh, have been suppressed 
through drug therapy as a means of controlling everybody. So we're all docile, happy workers. Well, not even happy. We're just docile workers. We go about our day and we don't cause trouble is essentially where they're trying to get society to be at. And anybody who doesn't comply with that, who misses their dose uh, and wants to feel any sort of emotion is hunted down by specialized law enforcement known as clerics. And Christian Bale plays one of those clerics named John Preston. He ends up missing his dose uh, and begins to feel and then pulls what I would probably refer to as a Fredder Fredersen for those of us who watch Metropolis, where he just goes out to help the resistance and starts a revolt against the government. And along the way, we get some entertaining martial arts, uh, gun battles, or gun foo, as it's affectionately dubbed. Uh, a little splash of what we could call teenage hormones, which we may talk about at some point with how he transitions into feeling and some of the actions that he takes. And then at the very end of the film, what I can only describe as the gun porn orgasm of action that takes place where just all hell breaks loose and it's just a free for all. Uh, but who am I kidding? Like the best character of this film, if you're watching YouTube and you're seeing our video, is this dog that's behind me, this awesome puppy that John encounters and protects, and yes, will make it through the entire film, is by far the best character, hands down. That was a sigh fight. of relief for me. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will fight you on that if you say that it, this dog is not the best character of this film. No. Uh, but you know what, all that aside, we're here to talk about, you know, where we've seen a lot of the influences in this film before, whether it works, whether the film pays, you know, decent homage, whether we think it's a blatant ripoff, or whether we think it doesn't stick the landing. Uh, so first, let's get some initial impressions uh, from those of us in the house that have seen it, or have not seen it before. And Chris, since you have seen it before, I figure it's your turn to go ahead and tell us a little bit about your second, or second, third, however many viewings this is since you've uh, gone back to fight against the Tetragrammaton. Yeah, uh, so you just general impressions, is that where we're kind of uh, starting with? Yeah, yeah. What's, yeah. Your, what's your thought process after seeing this for, because you said you hadn't seen this for a while, is that right? Yeah, since college, which I know is kind of our mantra uh, for you, and I, it seems like for a lot of the movies, but um, I watched it a lot in college. I, I'd say I probably saw this five or six times, like easily in college. It was like an easy pick, like, I don't know, to kind of slap on in the background. Um, so it hadn't been since then. Um, I like, I think this movie's still a good laugh. Like I, um, I enjoyed it. Like it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, right? Um I think it does raise some uh, some interesting questions, and we, we talked a bit uh, in our watch party. Like this was very close to nine eleven, and it seems to kind of raise a lot of uh, issues around sacrificing like personal freedom for safety, which would have been a very hot topic at the time. So kudos for that. I think what it's lacking at times is like is depth. Um, I don't know that that like depending on it doesn't really seem particularly interested in being deep so like there's kind of the question of whether or not it cares like how deep it kind of goes right i think um you could argue that maybe the agenda of the film is to ask some questions uh have have a bit of like philosophical slant to it um but mostly be there sort of for the action like that's more of the backdrop for um some of the high concept action and things like that but um i still think it's a solid movie like it is one that I would give with probably a bit of a disclaimer of like, Hey, like, so if you're expecting something like Solaris or like Gattaca or like something that's like a little deeper, like temper your expectations. If you just want to show up and have fun, it's got that in spades. That's my read. 
that is a valid point i will say i mean when i first saw this film so i the the reason that i watched this film the first time and this will be really short and sweet was i was back in high school and i saw it at a video kiosk somewhere and what caught my eye was not only the cover but the fact that the little tagline at the bottom of it says forget the matrix this movie will blow you away and i thought you know what that is a very bold claim to make because the matrix had come out in what 99 or 2000 somewhere in there and so i thought all right i'll give it a shot if i'm going to see some cool you know um martial arts style you know action and all that so i think that's sort of what you're talking about where it has enough of like a whether it's philosophical, whether it's religious, sort of like the same thing with the, the Matrix, where it's like, we maybe we're not going to be as deep as what they were trying to go for, but we're going to have that as sort of the backdrop with which to, to carry the plot forward. And then we're just going to have all these cool gun battles in there. And that's how we're going to we're going to market it. So I will but, add, I think it lacks originality too. like, mm -hmm. I think it, it borrows from a lot of things. I don't think it says anything really new or explores anything new. Uh, within that genre well i'm sure we'll get into that like a bit more like in detail but oh yeah but how, how about you may what are your uh your takes on the film it's a very serious film that at the same time does not care at all about like plot holes or consistency and i <laughs> kind of love that honestly like i feel like the comedic elements of like the over-the-top action scenes and how unrealistic the very premise of the movie is. Uh, like, I don't know, they kind of like work to its favor. It makes it so you're not questioning or looking too deep because you know that there's nothing there. <laughs> it's easier just to, you know, enjoy the ride. Um, that, that puppy is probably the cutest dog I've ever seen on like TV also. So like that was obviously a plus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, uh, I don't know if this is makes me a terrible person or not, but I, I was laughing during every fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're not a you're terrible good. person. You're an awesome you're, yeah. person. That's exactly <laughs> what you should be doing. <laughs> because it was ridiculous. And so it is perfectly acceptable. And it's it's one of those things where it's, it's why I like going back and watching it again is just because I know how ridiculous it is. And yet watching them all play it so straight is part of why I find it so entertaining. Like Christian Bale, man. Like if it wasn't for him, just such a straight face through the entire film. Like, I don't know. It could have been a completely different movie. He's but, so intense. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Man, that man is in it. And I don't know if this came out back when Sci-Fi Channel was doing a lot of its like original picture programming that was like all the B sort of um, uh, campy sci-fi sort of horrors or sort of like sci-fi. What do like you mean campy? Croctopus yeah. versus Mega Shark, like it's not camping. Hell yeah, Sharknado, <laughs> baby. <laughs> I don't know if that was when that started to become like a thing. I feel like it was the beginning yes. of it because this has the feeling of that without being sci-fi channel or whether it's the kind of subpar special effects or if it's just like the, we're taking something very obviously done before, like what Chris was saying, you know, and just repackaged it in a different way, which I feel like Sci-Fi Channel was notorious for doing, or like a lot of these other straight to DVD or, you know, now straight to streaming uh, B movies that you see out there by like these sort of discount uh, production companies. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of in the vein of where this film is going. So definitely. <laughs> uh. Any other initial thoughts or impressions before we kind of jump into some of these homages, for better or worse? 
I thought the, I mean, I think we'll probably get into this more later for talking about themes of the film, but I thought it was interesting uh, just that like with the premise that it introduces and like I, the, the lack of any recognizable like ideology or religion, there's iconography that's clearly like very Nazi-esque, um, but beyond that, it seems very much kind of like resisting uh, it being compared to anything in the real world. And I feel like that also kind of frees it to have what, especially like immediately after 9-11 would be a very controversial plot of, hey, actually, no, this government sucks. And we're just going to kill everyone in charge and take it over. It's true. I feel like it's sort of, a. It, I guess, to kind of play it safe, you know, it's at least back then it was always easy to just use like Nazism as like the enemy. And so it's like, we're just going to make that, yeah, we're going to have the government be a bunch of Nazis and then overthrowing it will seem more palatable for people around this time not to have to worry or think about it too much. Like, yes, I and, side with these guys. And make the point of resistance emotions a thing that is universal to human experience. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think to like arguably a more like interesting degree, like V for Vendetta, it kind of does mm. the same thing where like yeah. it takes Bush era politics and kind of merges it with like a very clearly like fascist government and says essentially like hey this is what's going on like right now and like we're gonna kind of put this like sci-fi package around it and you like you're almost compelled like you have to kind of like yeah this looks terrible and it's like this is what's happening right you know right now um so it's actually a really good comparison i would say this is doing kind of a similar thing Mm -hmm. although i would say the wykowskis have a tendency like v for vendetta or the matrix I, I i find them much more like able to stick the landing when it comes to making connections like that that are you know without it either going too overboard necessarily that that's arguable there's some other films they've done where you may or not may or may not feel the same way but i feel like those two in particular were very much the we feel okay pushing the envelope and we feel okay you know having a lot of stuff that's on the screen that can be interpreted in one or more ways and then but also not feel afraid to do that and so that's something that i really appreciate about those films so let's talk a little bit about the uh the stuff that has been repackaged. So let's, uh, since we've talked about Metropolis at length before, I feel like it's worth just making a couple of notes about that to kind of segue in, uh, it, at least from what I've noticed. So like the architecture of the city, you know, the big mega city, um, clothing is all very reminiscent of Metropolis. Everybody has like varying uh, degrees of like gray and white. It's even to the point that you guys notice where like the interior of a car is just like straight white. Some of the clothing is straight black. Some of the workers, it's like, I don't know, like navy blue maybe is like the most out of the box kind of color that we get and everything else is just very bland, um, which makes sense. You know, it's not supposed to elicit any sort of emotion or it has no utility behind it with color. And so that's all sort of, except if you're getting burned and then you have like a blessed be um, clothing style going on there, uh, Handmaid's Tale style, where right before you get put in the incinerator, so. Uh, there's that and then sort of like the the revolt that takes place as well which seems to be pretty consistent with metropolis there so um may i'm gonna flip it back over to you on this one on anything else like but whether it's about those aspects of it that you kind of saw in, mirrored in metropolis whether there was anything else that was interesting that might have been integrated from that film here too and if you think you, it worked or didn't work i don't think it's a one-to-one -one, you can tie them together 
but it, and it's another common sci-fi theme is when you when you get a really authoritarian society like this generally you have kind of a melding of religion with the society and in metropolis we saw how kind of like the machine version of mary was also the embodiment of like all these sins right and there's uh, uh the, the the flip side of the coin the human mary was very much kind of a, a virgin mary figure leading everyone to some kind of salvation right um and i think you see a very similar kind of melding of politics and religion in equilibrium uh notably with like father being the head of the clerics the fact that they're called clerics <laughs> um and that they're also like the the head police slash assassins of of the government um so that's that's kind of an interesting through line there uh there i wish there had been like a cool robot lady but alas no if only <laughs> the uh, unproduced sequel uh equilibrium 2 that would have had the um <laughs> yes robo maria would have showed up they did have a couple little winks though i felt like you know when john gives a little wink over to tay Diggs' character at one point and kind of vice versa so i, I got a little metropolis vibe there since maria liked to do that a lot but that was true. like one of the big shots but yeah i like that chris how about you yeah the only um additional thing that really springs to mind and it's not a one-for-one one, like obviously because we don't have like the uh the, the head and the hand but like Christian Bale very much is the heart like he's somebody who was part of not really the upper echelon but like part of the government sort of like um has seen that side of it and I think is put forth as the character that's going to bridge the old way and the new way and sort of help things move along um obviously much more violent than <laughs> <laughs> Freder Fredersen uh and again like it's not a one-to-one -one, but I do think you kind of see that like you know his interactions like he's able to navigate both of those worlds and understands it in a way that probably very few people do it. and it's interesting that both sides kind of see an advantage to his in-between role like the mm -hmm. the rebellion wants him as an assassin and um there's that whole like late movie reveal where <laughs> uh father is like oh yeah i planned all this i uh, let you feel emotions that way you could infiltrate them <laughs> yep spoiler alert <laughs> was my plan all along sucker yeah it's true uh which i feel like is sort of nowadays is very much like we expect that i feel like maybe back when this film was done audiences could kind of go along maybe to a certain extent and have that be a twist at the end but i feel like it's so done now we just sort of expect everybody in all these dystopian sci-fis to just backstab each other all the time there's always that expectation of having the plot twist at the end of the episode or at the end of the, of the, of the film or even like multiple points throughout the point of the story that it's almost like we're just waiting for like somebody to change and there to be like a twist at that point i mean i could be misreading that now but i just sort of i feel like that's always now it's like they're upping the ante every time to do that no i remember frequently like at man of the high castle and uh, handmaid's tale like the two shows that are probably most analogous to this that i've watched um like that are you know uh recent or um i don't know like current uh uh frequently was paranoid of like everyone's intentions that like wasn't the the main character or focal character who actually is good who who 
there's going to be a, a snake in the grass that's going to reveal themselves in the 11th out of 12 episodes at the cliffhanger moment, you know, kind of thing. Like, so I think you're right. Like, maybe our guard was up a little bit less back in 2002, right? 2002, you said? Yeah. You? Oh, man. Either someone's going to betray ago. you or someone is secretly your father. It's it's going to be one or <laughs> <like> the other. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Why not both, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since Star Wars, man. Uh, and speaking of actually like so Handmaid's Tale um, or Man in the High Castle also 1984 Fahrenheit 451 are like the classic I feel like these are the two films that are like represented the most in or either books and or films depending on which version you've seen or read are the most depicted slash repurposed and maybe even just blatantly ripped off in this film uh, because we've got the burning of all the whether it is books at some point, but also just all the art pieces of artwork um, in the hole at the beginning where we see them torch like the inside of this house um, or which again, Fahrenheit 451 written all over that or even just taking when John takes a book secretly to look at later. That's also very much a, a callback to Fahrenheit 451. Um, then we've got 1984, which is the totalitarian big brother government which in this film kind of does and doesn't do a good job of spying, depending on how you look at it and you want to argue it, but that's, <clears throat> or having like little children standing sentry pointing out people that they think are, are feeling and having them be sent in for interrogation. Uh, those were definitely the, the things that, that came to my mind. But uh, Chris, how about for yourself watching this? Was that a lot of what you saw reflected in there? Were there other aspects maybe between those films that you thought were there and do you think that it worked or didn't really work yeah I, I can't think of a specific example but like there's definitely like some double speak in this or like phrases that were a little bit reminiscent of some of the classic um lines and mottos in uh 1984 um it, the spying thing was very odd to me like watching last night i'm like so they have the capability of like tracking people's like guns yet they don't really seem to utilize that like <laughs> you would think like very clearly a cleric has slaughtered a group of guys out in the narrows right the narrows and yep. how many could they have that they couldn't just run everyone's guns to be like who was popping off last night uh, <laughs> so i found that aspect very odd like um and just uh you you pointed out like this is clearly an advanced uh society with technology and they're using like pen and paper log books um just some weird stuff like that, but um, but no, like like uh, certainly like the the Hitler Youth uh stuff like children that are like the spies reminded me a lot of 1984, kind of putting the responsibility on everybody to like report and all be compliant, um, and everyone watching, you know, um, everybody else, very 1984 esque. Uh, it's been a hot minute since I've read Fahrenheit 451. I feel like like maybe is like long ago was like seventh grade for me or eighth grade um, i probably should reread it because i love bradbury but um certainly like the the attitude towards uh art and um really any kind of um creative endeavor being something that's potentially dangerous and ne the need for censorship or just sheer destruction um but yeah uh, the thing that i don't know if we're going to talk about it the work that really stuck out to me was Brave New World, the drug Soma and that that's really used to kind of like 
level out and not fully eliminate emotions like this, but is very much used as a way to keep people docile. Um, that was the most striking, uh, but the, both the first time I saw it and again last night. Um, and that was another work. I was like, man, I'm due for a reread of that because I that blew my mind the first time I read it. I love Brave New World. I think it's underrated compared to the other two that you mentioned, Fahrenheit 451 and 1984. I think it stands up there with those, but doesn't get as much love. Excellent. Well, then let's, uh, we're going to hold on to that then and re circle back in just a moment. May, any thoughts about uh, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451? I don't have too much to add. I, I do think the biggest influence is, like Chris was saying, just this kind of panopticon that you have, mm -hmm. uh, where everyone's kind of enforcing for each other. Um, the the most jarring thing for, for me is something that's not like that obvious but like feels very unsettling especially if you've ever been in kind of like a toxic relationship or anything like that where you feel like you're in a panopticon is the someone just walking up and being like what are you doing like right mm -hmm. now what are you doing um because i think that happened like a christian bale kid uh, <laughs> asked that at one point and um his partner does as well at another time and it's like that's a very panic inducing question right even if you're not doing anything suspicious it's just like someone demanding what are you doing right now mm -hmm. um i'm not really connecting that to either of those books anyway that that to me was kind of the strongest example of like oh that's just a question everyone is expected to ask of each other and instantly answer with no emotion that is that is rough uh <laughs> Especially if you're trying to fake that you're yeah, feeling yeah, emotions. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I actually saw a lot of similarities to a Vonnegut short story called uh, Harrison Bergeron, or Bergeron. I don't know how to pronounce the name, but Chris, you mm, like it. that, right? Yeah. I do. Because um, mm -hmm. it's a similarly authoritarian state with uh, the great equalizer being um, like, you know, adding weight to the answers so that they all have like the same like limits on their movements and just um it is it felt like a very similar society obviously this is just a tiny short story but i i feel like the creators of the movie probably read it at some point excellent that's actually a book i haven't read so or a short story i haven't read so that will be added to the list and i have read maybe bits and pieces of um brave new world which has been on the list for me to get back to because I'm lazy. So that I'm glad that we are talking about this because this is giving me a good book selection for later. Uh, so let's circle back then to Brave New World. And Chris, tell me a little bit more about what you saw in that reflected here in the film. Yeah, it, um, it's again, been a long time since I've read it, but just, just the idea that, um, you know, through psychoactive drugs, you can control the masses by essentially making everybody very placid, you know, all the time um, where they kind of go a little further than brave new world. Like I think is like, there is also like the threat of extreme violence, you know? Um, so that's kind of the backup plan when somebody doesn't want to take their, take their meds. Um, but just the fact that that's the easiest solution uh, to keep everybody in line. Um, I will add what I would have liked to have seen a bit more like on that angle is like uh, some clear motivation, like on like, is it, is it resource scarcity? Is it just power? Like what, where, where is the motivation? And like, we, we obviously get like the late third act, like reveal of who father actually is and, and all of that. Um, but like, I was hundred percent sold on um, where all the motivations lay and, and all that other than just like 
sheer control. Um, but yeah, that, that was the primary, just psychoactive drugs being um, the most efficient method. And the fact that everyone's kind of taking them willingly, you know, it's very reminiscent of Brave New World as well. Like that's something that um, many, most people are not coerced into doing. It's like, oh yeah, like this is just what you do. Um, this is how you live your best life. Excellent. Well, thank you so much guys for that. Then the, I guess the next point to look at then is the action. So the reason that everybody came here presumably was to watch all the awesome gun battles and see some martial arts and see what can happen when you combine drug therapy with Tai Chi to create the ultimate badass. Uh, but the, the gun kata or the gun fu, I guess they call it the gun katas in the film. Uh, and then the gung fu, gun fu that is like the, I guess the affectionate term that everybody who's watched this film has talked about uh, seeing that is on display is very reminiscent. I guess it was trying to compete with the Matrix, essentially. I mean, not just on what I saw on the cover that was arguing about that, but just the trying to take a, a, a story that had some sort of serious, you know, underlying plot and then just like throw in all that action to break it up or to carry the plot forward and and we see bits and pieces of that sort of scattered throughout the film that that culminates in that big action sequence at the very end um so i kind of like to get your your thoughts on just sort of the the action sequences themselves uh what you thought might have been taken from uh you know somewhere else versus the matrix or whether you, you thought it was basically just watching watch watching the matrix repurposed and then uh kind of going from there so may how about uh i kick it over to you for your thoughts on that uh i i learned an important lesson from these action scenes and it's always have an insane number of guns up your sleeve like that's how you win any fight apparently <laughs> and reloading like extra clips make sure those are there i just like the the like scientist slash engineer in me is like how like like how did he do all the reloads and like the the extra mechanical little bits how how was that not just like so bulky and <laughs> why are there like, no I metal wanna... detectors like why is that not a thing yeah <laughs> I, I i like want mythbusters to look at this basically is, is my feeling uh... <laughs> oh man i'm surprised they have it i would totally watch an episode about that they might have i've definitely not seen every episode of mythbusters so who knows um adam jamie if you're listening uh please <laughs> we'll tweet you please do an equilibrium one we are, um, there's, still, there's still time <laughs> Yeah, no, I was I was really amused by them. I think like the the role of like martial arts in like sci-fi movies is interesting. I you, you know I'm a Trekkie, so I'm gonna tie it back to like uh it was a common thread in a lot of like Star Trek episodes of like doing sparring, like martial arts sparring is practice. Um, even though almost every altercation is decided with phasers, right? But <laughs> <laughs> say kirk uh he he had that sick judo chop that he would do like that was his... <laughs> true <laughs> was... <laughs> oh yes or like the two-handed ones are just like yeah. <laughs> yeah. so in addition Sorry. to the matrix that's kind of where my mind went um but yeah like i said they're enjoyable i did not take them seriously whatsoever um i also like i know the um the the flash of gunfire is always exaggerated in film but I just, I was dying during that opening scene where he's shooting in the dark and it's like a camera flash every time he shoots. It's true. 
I don't know if you guys picked up on it too, but like the weird sort of like special effect that they did every time you hear like the whoosh with his arms changing position. And it was like this really sort of unrealistic visual, like his arms moved in a weird way uh, versus like his entire body is a ramrod still. And it's just like this one arm goes one direction. The other arm like loops around the back of his head and then he switches and it's just like, you know, and I get that it's, you know, again, martial arts, I get it, but like, it's just so ridiculous in that that's, I mean, even if that's how the body's moving, that that's visually how they want it because of the, of it being in the dark. And for us, I guess, is to be able to see that movement that it's so like unrealistically accentuated that way. But yeah, so Chris, thoughts uh, from your end as well about the, the fighting? the fighting style or just generally as it relates to the plot to drive the plot forward <laughs> yeah um I, I mean i think it's one of the strongest points of the film like believe it or not like yeah it's very silly um but i did a bit of research and gung fu is actually like a sub-genre of like hong kong cinema so like think john woo movies um oh. where the, there's that sort of stylized especially akimbo so like dual wielding like things is very much um like a part of that like you know subgenre of like action cinema from again john woo is probably like the, the most famous director that really implemented it and i think this movie does a decent job like putting its own spin on that it is very silly um under any kind of scrutiny it falls apart but it doesn't really matter because it looks cool and i think largely they pull it off like is it plausible like fuck no um i <laughs> i i love um some of the engineering that you that you have to just kind of go like sure uh like the little uh clips that like are like the little punchy toys that you had as a kid that like couldn't fall over you know like when he slides them on the ground they're just perfectly upright um sure yeah i mean for the sake of the movie uh it's cool because you're like okay those aren't bombs like why aren't they ex ex and then like <laughs> a minute and a half later he just slams and you're like ah okay okay you just knew that you were going to be there at some point and needing to reload that makes sense um you can if you suspend your disbelief and just go with it i think it's cool like i mean it really is like dopey and fun and uh, i think it is one of the strongest but probably one of the things that sets this film apart honestly like where it lacks originality in a lot of other aspects i think it does put a really good spin so if we were doing a deja vu on like hong kong like gun fu like <laughs> i might feel a bit more strongly about the the originality than uh maybe i will when we talk about uh dystopian slant on things so yeah I, i'm curious chris in your research did you find like like what what is upheld as like the prime example of hong kong gun fu yeah so i think uh the is it the killers like the john woo film that had is it chow yun fat was like his big uh star let me go like because i remember seeing that in college and being completely blown away but it yeah the killer singular is uh the film that like where that dual akimbo thing and it was uh chow yun fat um maybe i'll insert a clip right here so we can uh see like a <laughs> little little comparison uh between them but i certainly um, hope that you do because that is awesome and i would watch more films about that well i mean if you've never seen some like early john woo like not mission impossible 2 john woo but like <laughs> when he was like on fire really really like you know uh passionately working like in hong kong um it's some of the best action films like you'll ever see um and like the influence one of the things that you're like holy god like this guy influenced so many things that came after this so. also made, made face off so like you think 
uh, like absurdity. Like if we're going to loop this all back around to absurd action, you have to spend your disbelief. Um, Nicholas Cage and John Travolta, when they're on that high speed boat chase and they both jump and just collide midair and they're fine. They're like fighting in seconds where like you're, you're going 60 miles an hour and you slam into each other in the air and you're totally yeah. fine. Like, like that's kind of what, yeah. Uh, that subgenre of action um, involves like stuff like that, where you're like, it's there's no way, but you don't care because you know what you're in for. That's valid. I do like in the film in Equilibrium how they try to justify it, and they've got like a little compilation explaining how it works, and then there's like all these different <laughs> graphs of like geometry for like, oh yeah, these angles and stuff. And I'm like, this looks like something that like high school me would have taken away from geometry class and just like scribbled away as a, as a reason for why this works. Like, yes, because math. <laughs> <laughs> Don't doubt and, um, the science. Are you anti-science, Will? <laughs> no, 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 I, I'm questioning their math. <laughs> so it's... I would like to see statistically, like the other stuff we've talked about, like, is it like the stuff he's got up his sleeves, you know, logistically, if that could work or you know maybe some of the fighting styles if that's able to pull off something where you know where you've got a gun that is discharging and could you still like do martial arts moves especially at the very end with the like sort of the boss level as as chris liked to refer to it last night where he's fighting off against the real father john preston is fighting off against the real father and they're essentially doing like i'm not going to say necessarily like uh what, I don't really know which style of martial art it would have been, but just the fact that they are in close quarters combat and they are trying to like point a gun at each other and the other one's just sort of like slipping in and pushing it aside and slipping their other arm in and pushing it aside and they keep deflecting each other and they're discharging their firearm at the same time they're doing it. And it's like, it's just so fluid and flawless. And it's like, would that really have been possible? Or is this just, again, suspending disbelief for the sake of it? As so. somebody who's fired many handguns and those are Desert Eagles that they're shooting, so it's either a 357 caliber or 50 caliber? No, it is not. Yeah. I can tell you right now. Like, they kick like mules. There's yeah. no way. Also, they <laughs> seem to have unlimited bullets at certain points. <laughs> yeah, I stopped trying to count at one point. I was like, <laughs> just out of curiosity. And I was like, no. Yeah. Well, before, all right, so before we sort of like tie this all together to decide whether this is like, it works as an homage or it doesn't really work. Um, I do like to point out this one little thing that's come up before and I mentioned it to you guys during the, um, during our screening together, which is that there's a little, I mean, the editing is a little inconsistent in this film too, which is, you know, for better or worse, you could either ride with it and just go along with it for the sake of the plot, or you can look at it and be like, okay so how does this make sense and it could be because they edited some scenes in a different order um or they just weren't paying attention could be either way at this point but there's definitely a part in the film where a little reveal is that one person has been using another character's weapon and thus is able to use that to justify incriminating them and i just thought that it was funny that going back and re-watching the order of events that take place Depending on where you line up in that, I mean, there's definitely some uh, firearm exchanges, like handing off of weapons to each other throughout the course of this. But it's still like it's one of those things where I, it doesn't really line up for me. And so it that's always entertaining rewatching it to try and think, oh, maybe I'll find that one part that maybe it could have lined, you know, it would have made sense. And then it always no, I come to the same conclusion every time. So I don't know if that was ever, uh, I guess, something that you guys noticed that was an issue or whether you were just like ah oh, this is funny let's just ride along with it 
So uh, either of you two want to want to throw in your thoughts on that or <laughs> not really a big deal. I mean, I, I noticed pretty much immediately when they did like the big gun swap reveal that wait, no, that ha that happened after they shot that whole <laughs> gang of guys. Um, but also it was so late in the movie. I was just like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, part of me after reflecting <laughs> on this last night like wanted to just believe that uh since they already were like this, the whole thing was like a, a trap anyway like they they later reveal that uh they're on to him anyway like he's you know supposedly putting tay Diggs away and he screams to make a big show part of me just wants to believe that like you know they're like you know what just let him have this like the logic of this doesn't make sense you know what just we're gonna arrest him later anyway like sure like let's give him a little <laughs> victory like he's done so well up to this point like sarcastic <laughs> you know like sure yeah the old switcheroo oh you got me <laughs> <laughs> arrest him <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, but no i think it's just one of those things that just doesn't hold up like a lot of this movie when you think about it too much but yeah or just the moments in it where people seem to be emoting when they shouldn't be emoting and then justifying oh it as God. like at somebody else, you know? So yeah, there's some, you, you can poke fun at a lot of it. Yeah, there, yeah There's that. And also like ostensibly in this world, it's still okay to like, you know, have a wife and kids. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I don't believe that in the process of like making a baby, you have had no emotional spike that whole time. <laughs> It's true. Like, how do you how do you have children? Speaking of, yeah, how do you procreate when nobody has emotion? Is it just like, is it like Brave New World? Are we like, like test tubing this out, or like, what's the what's the process? So. Sounds miserable. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, I who knows? I suppose that would probably be the most like logical guess is that maybe it is like not something that uh, involves actual like intercourse and is more like lab oriented but it's still like expected or fine to be married and that that because i think in brave new world uh the kids are basically raised by the state right like so yeah it's been a while yeah. but yeah that sounds right um i think maybe like I, again like i i could be assigning or giving this uh, movie too much credit it could be like that's un that's pairing people means that like there's always eyes on like somebody uh, right so yeah the government's like which then when they're all like why did you not know when your wife was was uh, a sense offender john you know and suddenly he's under scrutiny for that like yeah that actually makes a little bit more sense to me then all right guys before we wrap up any final thoughts points about the film yeah i would still recommend this to somebody again with a little bit of a disclaimer like mm -hmm. um but as far as like outside of the discussion around genre and stuff i think it's held up mostly well like some of the stuff's a bit aged in it but like i enjoyed this way more last night than i thought i was going to i'll be honest like i was convinced that this movie wasn't <laughs> going to hold up at all and i think for what it is it's it's absolutely fine so i guess tying that in are we are we doing like a, a final vote then for whether we think this does a good homage whether it, it the purpose it sets makes sense whether it adds something to it or simply just serves as a good reflection of the material that it's sourcing it from or how do we want to how do we want to wrap this up i don't know i, I just say like everybody can I, I think we do a good job uh when we put our own individual spin or judging criteria so if you if you're forward i, I just say let everybody kind of say their piece and uh it doesn't have to be a binary answer by any means if you don't want it to be um 
but it, I, I'm also down to, to make a judgment call too. So cool. Well, then I will leave it up to everybody to say their piece on how they think the, the film stacks up. So Chris, since we already kind of got your feedback from it, do you want to go ahead and wrap up your end and then we'll head over to May? Yeah. Um, I don't think this film, uh, as I've kind of already, like already been saying, like, I don't think this film is a very great, um, entry into the uh dystopian sci-fi like genre right if i'm gonna evaluate it on that merit alone i think this movie is unsuccessful in every way of doing anything interesting um, or adding anything new uh to what what came before it uh i think it pays decent homage um so i think it is successful in like being aware of what came before and like if it's if it's entire job is to pay homage i think it does a decent job at that like it maybe not being original but paying homage and i think that's the ultimate question right like does it do a decent job paying homage like thinking back to like knives out i think we're not knives out is like far and above this is that it does something new and it has an interesting twist but it also pays homage so um i would say uh i would rate this moderately successful in the homage category so that's my final answer all right may what are your thoughts Chris, I'm going to be copying your homework because my answer is basically the same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a great homage to the genre. I went back and forth on how I felt about the very kind of like surface level teenage hormone driven, like sh just shoved in their romance plot with, with Mary towards the end. I decided I do like it in that I, I feel like not all and certainly not the great like you know, sci-fi films I can think about, but a, a common trope in sci-fi is very one-dimensional women and uh, implausible romances. So I kind of like that this had one, after all, if we're just talking about it being an homage. <laughs> I think, I don't know if I was muted or not, but I, I cried out when like they have like that moment in the interrogation room where she just tried to kill him for killing her lover. And then she's like, oh, <laughs> but you're hot yeah. but you're christian bale so it's okay right? <laughs> I, I screamed at my tv but <laughs> is that a throw your popcorn moment yes oh nice <laughs> um at, at the end of the day that is a proper homage to the genre so yes i agree this is a great job of kind of wrapping up a lot of sci-fi dystopia themes um it did not really add anything, I think. Like, if anything, like, I'm not used to seeing gun foo in a lot of those sci-fi dystopia movies. It's certainly present in some, but that felt like the most different aspect of the film, but it's still derivative. So I, at the end of the day, have the same answer as Chris. No, actually, uh, so I will admit, I have watched this film quite a lot over the last probably 15 years and it, I think it's just because it is so much like a popcorn flick for me where I could turn it on and I don't have to pay attention to it and it's not like you guys have talked about and this is going to reflect a lot of what you've already said is that it's um it's not very deep that it's not really meant to be in a lot of ways it could have been because of the time when it came out or it's simply because that was not the focus of what the film was supposed to be uh, that we came for action and that's how we're going to market it and that's what we're going for and I think that it's fun I think it's fun to poke fun at um, and I think it does a good job of of copying and repurposing a lot of classic sci-fi for the sake of the plot but then trying to be as we sort of have 
consistently said it tries to be a little bit more unique in its sense of the fighting that's going on it's that is sort of the the focal point of it um and so i think that in terms of the entertainment value i think it's definitely entertaining uh but i don't think that well i should say i think it's entertaining i think it does a good job of trying to pay respects to the material that it's taking from uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think that it ultimately, like you guys have also said, I don't think it adds very much. Um, I would recommend watching it as something after the fact, like, hey, you should watch this movie and then go watch Equilibrium so that you understand what they're pulling from so that it makes sense as to why it's like sort of spoofing, but not really. It's just it's in that really weird gray area where it's trying to be you know, it's trying to play it straight, but at the same time, by playing it straight, it is very funny. Um, and so I think for that, and also having grown up and appreciated it still as just being entertaining and fun, uh, that's where I stand on it too, so. Yeah, it's certainly no Brazil. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen Brazil. Oh, man. Film. Yeah, that's a great film, too. Oh, Monty Python meets 1984. Uh, that's a brilliant movie. <laughs> that's a movie that really, really, like, tackles. It's dar It's darker. Like, I'm making it sound maybe a bit more silly. Then it is very funny, but um, it also has very dark moments. But, like, that's, I think, like, where you can go, like, that's a film that pays homage and kind of elevates. Okay, so budget trivia. Uh, this is a pretty straightforward one. Uh, do you think Equilibrium had a budget of 30 million, true or false, and if false, uh, over or under? Under. Going to be decisive today. Under. Okay. I don't know. It had Christian Bale in it. He was probably pretty expensive even back then. This was mm. about two years before The Prestige, I think. Well, like I said, I'm not good with math, so I'm just going to wing it because I, I didn't want to cheat and look this up beforehand. Uh, I'm going to go with right at 30 million. Chris is correct. It was under. It was actually only twenty million somehow. Oh, okay. Surprisingly low for me. Yeah, I wasn't you'd, too far off. <laughs> you'd think getting such a well-behaved dog would have cost a lot. Yeah. That's priceless. You can't put a price on that dog. <laughs> Honestly, doggo. <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners, that was the moment I wanted to have a dog, and I was not a dog person up until probably a few years back when my wife got a dog and I became a dog person. But before that, it was that was the only dog I'd ever seen where I thought, you know what, I could make an exception. That dog looks adorable. So, <laughs> well, guys, it's been a pleasure talking with you about Equilibrium. I think it is time to wrap it up with a little game. All right, Chris. So are we doing, do you want me to give you some options when it comes to a character or the plot? Plot. So your options are blank or whatever that's going to be, goes on a quest to slay a dragon, goes undercover in the world of hip hop culture, or throws a bachelor or bachelorette party that goes terribly wrong. I'm going to say bachelor, bachelorette party that goes wrong. Seems like there's good comedic fodder there. All right, buddy. So if we're going with that, the bachelor, bachelorette party that goes terribly wrong. So you got one minute on the clock and your character is a soccer mom determined to help her kids win the big game. Okay. So we have our socket mo soccer mom uh, named Karen, total coincidence, who <laughs> is trying to plan a bachelorette party for her best friend, Janice, uh, all the while trying to figure out a way to help her kids win the big game. How do things go wrong? 
Well, uh, when you're at a bachelorette party, you're consuming copious amounts of alcohol and mistakenly Karen books a stripper to come not to her house, but to the soccer game. Right. All right. Parents all right. Aren't- I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stop you right there, buddy. All right. So I like where you're going with this, but just tell me how about, and bear with me, how can we work tie in with the Harry Potter franchise? Oh, perfect. This takes place in the wizarding world. Okay. And <laughs> this becomes a race against time. So Karen's actually so drunk. She thinks it's a soccer match. It's a Quidditch match. She has to try <laughs> to figure out a way to stop the en route wizarding stripper from just, you know, uh, Accio clothes, like uh, out into the stratosphere, uh, <laughs> exposing himself to a bunch of underage children. So she's on an intercept course. All right. On the all right. All right. That's, that's good, man. That's good. We'll, uh, we'll take this under advisement and we'll get back to you on that. All right. Thank you. Awesome. I was dying. <laughs> oh, this game's so hard. I forgot how hard it is. So much fun. All right, May. It is your turn. What do you wish to have an option over? Would you like to say gonna, on your character or your plot? I'm going to be a bit different. I want to know my character. Excellent. So your character options are a sad, sad orphan looking for a new family, a divorced dad trying to reconnect with his kids, or a plucky down on her luck actress. I'm going to have to go with the divorced dad. Noise. Your plot for your divorced dad trying to reconnect with his kids will be on a deadly whitewater rafting trip. Right. Picture this. You have Mr. Dad played by Danny DeVito. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He's wearing a helmet because he's he's going to go rafting. And he has the sickest pair of sunglasses. And little known uh, to his to his ex, he has decided that instead of taking the kids to the zoo, he's going to take them whitewater rafting. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, these are two very meddlesome kids who have some issues with the divorce. And they decide to cause all kinds of havoc on the raft and end up getting lost in the waters. So I'm going to have to stop you right there. All right. So they're lost in the waters. I got you. You know what everyone loves? Dolphins. How can we get dolphins in this whitewater rafting fiasco? Okay. So part of Danny DeVito's like way of dealing with a divorce was to go and switch professions and become a dolphin trainer. And as soon as he sees his kids go under, he whistles and his highly trained dolphins, <laughs> flipper and flopper, come roaring out of the waves. And <laughs> they find the kids, bring them back. The kids like All got right, a two for good, one and it was great. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> as much as I would love to see Danny DeVito as a dolphin trainer. Because hands down, I would totally. I mean, it's basically going to be like the next Jumanji movie, right? Like, I feel like at some point it's it's set up for that. We just need The Rock to be in on that. Um, that's close between the two of them. I think I'm going to have to go with the Bachelorette party. I think uh, I, I feel like I want to I want to see what where that's gonna that's gonna pan out. So, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and give you a twist where it's like, oh, it's not a soccer game. <laughs> it's, it's Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty great. 
I mean, as much as depending on how you feel about the creator of Harry Potter, and I know we brought this up a time or two. Uh, Maybe the rights will come cheap. You know, she's a. I was just saying. There you go. That's <laughs> we can pay homage to that. You know, a little throwback action there. So awesome, guys! Both very well done. I love both of those. All right, Chris, you up for round two? I am, and I'll right, I'll be a mad lad and and switch it up and do character first this time so your character options are a senior citizen swim team a cop that plays it by the book or a gang of ruthless girl scouts don't let my emphasis on any one of those to make your decision for you (laughs) yeah um yeah i'm gonna say like senior citizen swim team sounds sounds like uh promising oh yeah Alrighty, sir so your plot is a senior citizen swim team tries to break the record for baking the world's largest pizza. The fuck? Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have a senior citizen swim team um, comprised of Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Joe. I think Sp- Space Cowboys. Basically, they just recast Space Cowboys, but they're they're uh, they're swimmers, and uh, they're tasked with baking the world's largest pizza um how are they going to do that well they're going to win the world championship they're going to win uh gold medals olympic gold medals they're up against michael phelps uh played <laughs> by uh michael Sarah. yeah that's right i just cast michael Sarah as his uh um uh, michael or sorry yeah as michael phelps and all right all right, so, all right. The- so that's that's great that's great and all what if we replace the climax of the movie with a drum solo fucking hell all right so they get to the the big match and they're about to dive into the pool and they're like wait a minute y'all are all old as shit why don't you have a drum off instead the audience will never see it coming they roll out a drum set and clint eastwood just goes fucking ape shit i'm talking neil pert rush all right right, allows them to to buy the largest (laughs) oven ever created to make the world's largest pizza Will they win or not? You won't know to the sequel. <laughs> That's how it ends. Ends on a cliffhanger. It's going to oh, be part man. two. Part oh, man. Two. So we're going to release this out like Stranger Things. Or we're only going to get like half the story now and like yeah. the other half I think in like Lord two Lord of months. the Rings, you know? Lord of the Rings. Uh, okay. All right. May. <laughs> Jeez, I'm ready for you. Don't know to... how I can follow that up, frankly, but we'll try. I don't know. The plot didn't. There was no pizza at the end of this film. So, I mean, there's always a chance. You're feeling you want to make a decision about your character or your plot? I, I prefer character. I'm, I'm showing my, my DM hat here. <laughs> awesome. All right. So your options are a martial arts master with a troubled past. A fraternity on the verge of suspension. A secret government agency protecting the world from aliens. Definitely the martial artist. All right. So your martial arts master with a troubled past must protect their small village from a horde of bandits. All right. So scene opens. You see this 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 this, this horde of of ruffians coming and descending on this very pleasant idyllic town, and it cuts to this very quaint little cottage where Michelle Yeoh is sitting. <laughs> And just, just having having some soup, having having some pasta. Uh, she hears the approaching horde. She goes, she grabs her guns and she storms out of her cottage to fight the uh, oncoming horde uh, with, with her uh, 
trademark gunfu. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> stop you there. The gunfu is awesome. Michelle Yeoh, even better. I like this idea, but I want to be in it. Make me the main character. So the the movie opens with Michelle Yeoh uh, tackling this oncoming horde. And to your horror, she is actually struck down in the first like 30 minutes of the film. Um, this this, this uh, strapping man comes walking out of the alleyway just as she falls. And he, he has even more guns somehow. He has more than two guns uh, in each hand. No one knows how, but he does it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All right, that's <laughs> time. And he that defeats time. the horde. <laughs> oh, epic. These ideas are amazing. Um, <laughs> I am going to sound very much, uh, oh, well, I obviously, if we know if I choose one, it's going to be because I was in it, um, but I'm going to choose the one that I was in for two reasons. <laughs> well, three reasons. I'm going to go ahead and even assail your ears with this. Uh, first off, A, I was in it, so that was awesome, uh, but that's not to fix it by any means. Two, Michelle Yeoh. Let's just hands down here. Michelle Yeoh in anything, I would watch the shit out of that, so um, that was once she came into the picture, that was it was game over at that point. Sorry, Chris. I, <laughs> I think when she left the picture, it was game over. Even when yeah. she left, yeah, in 30 minutes, it was like, you know what? 30 minutes was more than enough. I love, I love Michelle Yo. Um, but Lee I will Rattle. say there was no pizza at the end of your story. Uh ultimately, I know the drum thing threw a little the kink at it, but I don't know if I want to wait for a sequel to find out about that pizza, man. So it's part two, uh, it's not a sequel, then, it's part two. No, no. <laughs> The difference no. <laughs> but no i love both of those so may i got to give you the point on that um, thank you and i'm also super stoked because i can't wait to see the lightning round and how this is going to turn out so uh do you want to go back put back over chris you want to lead us off on this one or do you want to sure. throw a little yeah. wild card and have may go again to nah, wrap it up? Nah. this is all Let's... you all right buddy so your options are don't throw the cards off the table I try not to. I know. Oh man, that would be. Mm. All right, a fellowship of un, of unlikely heroes. Oh man, Stranger Things. Yeah. Hunts for Bigfoot. All right, a fellowship of unlikely heroes hunts for Bigfoot. So, who is our fellowship of unlikely heroes? Well, uh, they are Buddhist monks. Uh, why are they hunting Bigfoot? Well, Bigfoot's hunting them. Think Predator, but with Buddhist monks. Uh, why are they um, in America where Bigfoot is? It should be the Yeti, really, shouldn't it? Well, no one will see that coming. They're on a uh, diplomatic mission to the United States or seminary mission. And suddenly they're out in the woods camping and they're starting to get stalked by I'm going to uh, stop you right there. So this is good. I like where you're going and where your mind's at. How about we, uh, let's see if we can set this during the Civil War cool oh yeah amazing amazing that's why they're camping in the woods they really don't have much of a choice not really the most tolerant nation at that time so they're they're having to be very secretive about their mission sasquatch starts taking them out one by one until it's just the last monk and sasquatch alive and he is out for blood he's killed all of his brothers uh, he thought it was going to be the intolerance of the United States that got him, but it turns out it was fucking Sasquatch. It ends in a epic mono mono battle right, where he rips right. the head off of Sasquatch and <laughs> carries it over his back into the sunset. Awesome. I know we were a little over time, but I honestly wanted to hear how that was going to turn out. So. <laughs> Sorry. Same. No, Same. you're good. I feel like if I, I feel just like you should be able to finish your set. Hey, you yeah. Know, I, May, oh, like yeah. if you're like finishing your sentence, like, like yeah. I think that's that's fair game. <laughs> 
I am not going to be a time Nazi. So we're perfectly good on that. All right, May. Are you ready? Okay. I'll ever be. A young artist struggling to pay rent teaches poor kids to read. All right. So you have this very pretty young painter living in France, played by Natalie Portman. Uh, she, uh, by daylight is a teacher uh you know she's teaching english to all these little little french kids uh she is adored by children adults uh the male math teacher fancies her and by night she spends hours and hours in her painting studio uh i'm gonna stop you right there so this is great but what if everything you've said so far was just a flashback before the main story there's a deep sadness in your heart and suddenly everything fades to black and you realize this is actually just just a memory. Uh, Natalie Portman, in fact, does not teach. Um, all of her children have, have have grown up and aged out of the school system. Uh, they're living in this dystopia where there are no more kids. She has no one to teach. Uh, her art has <laughs> finally gained popularity, but no one has a taste anymore for the beautiful idyllic countrysides that she loves to depict. And she ends up living a life in pain and squalor until okay. love saves the day. Aw, happy ending. Yes. Hell as old as mm. time. Living in pain and squalor until love <laughs> right, saves guys. the day. All right. Well, May, thank you for that. And guys, I got to tell you, I, one of the things that's both a joy and also one of the more difficult parts about this is that it is so much fun listening to both of your ideas especially being able to pivot so quickly with some of the stuff that you know you get thrown at i mean that was why i love playing the game the last time against chris and why it's a joy for me to be able to judge it now but uh, i i'm a big predator fan so like throwing that one out there it was like uh i know it's like michelle yo i'm so biased so i apologize but this is this is the reason why i have to choose that idea because i would watch the shit out of some buddhist monks trying to beat the crap out of bigfoot during the civil war and yeah so i'm totally down now that i'm not keen on a on a love story set in a dystopian you know future but i, I will go with that so honestly chris, i would rather watch chris's movie than mine too so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, buddy. So you better get working on that screenplay because eight twenty four gonna be calling you soon. So you know, I know I got projects soon. just stacking up. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm set. So well, guys, thank you so much, Chris. I'm gonna turn it back over to you to to wrap us up. But again, May, Chris, excellent job, both of you. Uh, thank you for playing and thank you for having uh, giving me the pleasure of being able to judge that. So yeah, good times. Thank that you for being hard. the game master. <laughs> yeah, that's hard i want to fucking be the judge next time like it's i sweat so much when i play that <laughs> so all right here we go time to draw our main quest gonna give these a little shuffle and drop it and we have another unicorn or dead horse and let's see what our film is gonna be here oh dun 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 terminator 2 judgment day <laughs> oh one of my all-time favorites got a little t2 arm back there so we will be discussing if terminator 2 judgment day is a unicorn or a dead horse in other words a sequel that enriches the world or is a big old stinker that does nothing all right well that does it i'm excited for terminator 2 um the, uh you're in for a treat may you said you've never seen this before so um boy like um just for <laughs> treat that's all that's all i'll say um cool well we appreciate you all tuning in 
uh, please engage with us on social media at ScreenQuestPod on Twitter is the easiest place to find us. Uh, like, share, subscribe. Don't forget that share part. Like really, we, we love the extra love, new listeners. Um, if we have any new listeners on this episode, welcome. And I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we do appreciate all the support and um, in all the interaction. So thank you very much. Until next week, we love you. Bye, Bye guys. <laughs>